This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Tonight, we're going to focus on a story in Jeremiah's life that's recorded in Jeremiah 38, but we'll look at some other passages as well. We'll actually start out with a brief visit back to Jeremiah 26. You know, we've all faced a time, or maybe many times in our lives, when we needed a friend. And through history, friends have done much for each other. They've encouraged each other in good causes, like Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln. They've inspired each other creatively, like J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. But more than those things, time and time again, friends have been there for each other in low and difficult times. Uh, They've helped each other to hold on and to get through. And likely, uh, we could all tell stories about that from our own lives. Well, in 1 Samuel 18, we find the beginning of perhaps the most iconic friendship in Scripture. Uh, 1 Samuel 18.1 says that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Uh, Now, this friendship began at what was really a great time for David. He'd just been taken on as part of King Saul's court. His prospects really seemed to be moving up, especially as he developed into a highly respected warrior. But we all know that things soon took a very bad turn for David. Uh, Before we've hardly even had a chance to see him installed in Saul's court, the king, jealous about the accolades that are being directed at David, is throwing a javelin at him, trying to pin him to the throne room wall. Uh, Saul begins to plot against David, and he's soon after his life. Uh, 1 Samuel 19, verses 1 and 2 tell us, And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. So he's not only going after David himself, he's telling his son, he's telling his servants to go after David as well. But the next verse says, But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David, and Jonathan told David. And we could go on with the story and see how Jonathan helped David out of this difficult situation and really preserved his life. Jonathan was just the friend that David needed as his world suddenly turned upside down. Imagine with me, without Jonathan, where would David have been? Well, last week, we highlighted Jeremiah's loneliness as one of the prices that he had to pay in his faithful ministry. But in reality... Jeremiah was not truly alone. In fact, I would argue that if Jeremiah had been truly alone, he would have died after only about 20 years of his 40-ish year ministry. I'd also argue that if he had truly been alone, he, we would not have the books of Jeremiah and Lamentations. They would never have been written. Jeremiah did have friends. Now, he may have had few friends, But the friends we do find in Scripture were vital to him as a person and to his ministry. Their relationships were all different, and the parts they played in Jeremiah's life were varied. Still, each had his part to play, and at the right moment in Jeremiah's life, each steps onto the stage of the biblical account, and in most cases, fades quickly back behind the curtain. Tonight, I want you to meet these friends. First, let's meet Ahikam. 
we've actually already made a Hikem's acquaintance. We met him briefly in Jeremiah 26 last week. But before we go back there, let's find out who he is from the first passage where he appears in Scripture, which is actually back in 2 Kings 22. Uh, the passage there in 2 Kings 22 is one that we visited more times during this study than any other pa- than any one passage in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, as we have come to find, this passage is key to understanding Jeremiah and his ministry, even though Jeremiah is not actually even mentioned. But let's pick up in 2 Kings 22, verse 10. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. Now, if you've been a part of this class for all or most of these past eight weeks, you know what's going on here. Hilkiah, who's the high priest, finds the book of the law. He tells Shaphan about it. And Shaphan, who works for the king, passes the news on to King Josiah. The king, in light of God's law, realizes his sin and the sin of his people, and he realizes something needs to be done. So what is his first act? Well, after rending his clothes, of course. Uh, What what is the king going to do? Well, let's pick up in verse 12. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Akbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Asahiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book, to do according unto all that which is written concerning us. So, this group of men make their way to the home of Huldah the prophetess to see what she has to say about God's take on all this. They want to know what God has to say to the king and to the people because they've he's read the book of the law, he sees the behavior of the people, he realizes these things don't match up, God is, is angry with us, and what's going to happen. But we're not going to go into what happens after that. I do want to ask you to notice, though, the second name in that list of people in verse 12. Uh, Someone who was the son of Shaphan, the scribe, a man named Ahikam. And this is the Ahikam that we are considering now. He's the son of Shaphan, who is a faithful servant of King Josiah. As we already know, he does show up again later. So look with me now at Jeremiah 26. We talked about this chapter last week and uh, mentioned the sad tale of Urijah, who was a prophet who fled to Egypt uh, from King Jehoiakim during, during Jehoiakim's reign. He got dragged back out of Egypt by Jehoiakim's servants, and he was barbarously executed by the wicked king. Jeremiah 26, 23 says, And they fetched forth Urijah out of Egypt and brought him unto Jehoiakim the king, who slew him with the sword, and cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. Nevertheless, the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, that they should not give him into the hand of the people to put him to death. So Jeremiah is rescued here from death by God. But God uses a man, and the man is Ahikam, the son of Shaphan. Ahikam's family had long been connected to the royal court, and we see from other passage that, passages that that continues to be the case during Jehoiakim's reign. 
Uh, there are still members of Ahikim's family that are part of Jehoiakim's um, staff, if you will. But I, I don't know about Ahikim himself. We're not sure. But even though that's the case, Ahikim puts his neck on the line and extends his hand to this poor prophet. He extends help to Jeremiah. This verse is vague, but somehow or other, Ahikim offers Jeremiah much-needed protection at a vital point in his ministry. And Ahikam reminds us that faithful friendship sometimes means protecting a friend. There may be a time when you and I are called on to physically defend a friend, but that's less likely. More often, we'll face situations where we're called on to stand up for someone when they're under attack from gossip or slander. Sometimes a good friend acts like a shield, taking the brunt of a situation for their friend. And sometimes, the best thing a friend can do is serve as a bodyguard. Ahikam protected Jeremiah, setting him up to be able to continue his ministry. His mention is so brief here that it almost seems silly to even mention him, to say that he was a friend of Jeremiah. And we really don't know if there was more to this relationship than this, but we do see that God used Ahikam to do something that was truly vital in Jeremiah's life. And we're going to see that after this episode, Ahikam doesn't personally make another appearance, but we're not, we're still not quite done with him. His son is going to show up later in this lesson, so stay tuned. But working chronologically through Jeremiah's life, another friend shows up soon after Ahikam. And this friend is a man that we have definitely already met and spent time considering, a man named Baruch. Remember Baruch? I hope so, because... I'm not going to rehash all of Jeremiah 36, but if you miss that, then uh, you can go back and, and take a look at Lesson 6. There, in Jeremiah 36, Baruch became a scribe for Jeremiah. And we almost certainly have Baruch to thank for the fact that the book of Jeremiah is an actual written book rather than just a collection of oral messages that's been lost to time. God brought Baruch into Jeremiah's life to help him at a key time in his ministry. And it looks like Baruch might have stuck around with Jeremiah all the way until after the fall of Jerusalem because he's mentioned again in chapter 43, after Jerusalem has fallen, and he's considered there by other people to be closely connected to Jeremiah. In fact, there in chapter 43, people are accusing Baruch of being the one telling Jeremiah what to preach. So Baruch had an had a important part to play in Jeremiah's life. He was close to Jeremiah. Baruch's brother, Sariah, would later become part of King Zedekiah's court. So Baruch was set up to potentially find himself in an important position. But he was willing to surrender that personal advantage for Jeremiah's good. He was willing to be an obscure servant. And sometimes faithful friendship means just being a servant. Picture a faithful butler. He's simply there to be of service, to do what will help and make his, uh, his employer look good. It's not about me. It's all about how I can be of service to you. That appears to be Baruch's attitude towards Jeremiah. And Baruch came into Jeremiah's life at a really key time uh, just like a Haikum, and was a was a really big help to him 
um, in a way that it's, it's hard to really quantify the difference that he made in Jeremiah's life. Imagine when Moses stepped off the scene of Israel's history. Uh, how many members of the nation do you think imagined, you know, it could be me. I could be the next leader. I could be the head man. But who did God pick? Well, Joshua 1.1 says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister. So Joshua is the one who's going to become the new leader. But what does scripture call him? It calls him Moses' minister. Do you know what that means? It means he was Moses' servant. The word suggests a personal assistant. He was there to serve. He was there to help Moses however he could. And who did God choose to be the new leader? He chose Moses' minister. Joshua was truly a good friend to Moses, and a good friend is a good servant. Baruch, too, was a good friend and a good servant, and we are going to see this good servant Baruch again in the later lesson. But let's move on, and we'll take a quick look at another minor character in the book of Jeremiah who nevertheless helped Jeremiah. Uh, this next guy is a priest named Zephaniah. Now, this is not the Zephaniah who wrote the book of Zephaniah. Um, but briefly, what's going on here is there's a man named Shemaiah who's written a letter opposing Jeremiah, and one of the people who received the letter was this priest named Zephaniah. And Jeremiah 29, 29 says, and Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the ears of Jeremiah the prophet. So then Jeremiah is able to follow up with his response and his condemnation of Shemaiah, who's written something uh, opposing him. But though it seems almost too minor to even comment on, Zephaniah does Jeremiah a service here. He brings this situation to Jeremiah's attention. And sometimes faithful friendship means sharing information with our friends, helping them to know what they need to know. Sometimes that means being the one to have a hard conversation, to bring them face to face with the truth about themselves. Sometimes it means being the one to let them know something they don't want to hear. Sometimes it means bringing them up to speed on a situation that is affecting them. A good friend sometimes serves as a reporter. Now, I'm not talking about gossip, and we have to be careful about that with our friends, for sure. But I'm talking about sharing with a friend information that helps them and builds them up. I, I got a call from a friend just a few days ago who um, was giving me some feedback on something that I had done. And they were encouraging and they were helpful, but they gave me some constructive feedback on it. And it was really helpful. It was, it, it built me up. It was information that, that served me and will help me to uh, do my best um, in that particular area that he was giving me feedback on. That is one of those things that a faithful friend is going to do. And we see Zephaniah here, um, again, really brief and barely even mentioned in scripture, but he's, he's helping Jeremiah out in this way. Now, join me in Jeremiah 38, and we're going to meet the friend who serves as the title of this lesson, Ebed-Melech. Did you know that there's not only one Ethiopian eunuch in the Bible? We've all heard of the one who makes an appearance in Acts 8, but tonight you're going to meet another one. 
Uh, but let's take the passage, let's let this passage take us there. So Jeremiah 38, beginning in verse 1. Then Shephatiah, the son of Matan, and Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, and Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, the son of Melchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken unto all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, He that remaineth in this city shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. But he that goeth forth to the Chaldeans shall live. For he shall have his life for a prey and shall live. Thus saith the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. There's an interesting little point here. Um, and you can find a picture of this if you look it up online. But there are um, these devices that they used back in this time uh, called boli. Um, a single one is called a bola, B-U-L-L-A. And Ebola was basically an ancient seal made of clay. And officials would stamp that clay to seal a document or, or maybe to indicate ownership of something. Uh, it was a lot like a, a wax seal that would be used later in history. Well, there are two bully in particular that are significant because of the names they bear that have been unearthed by archaeology. One reads Gedeliahu, son of Pashur. And the other reads, Yehukal, son of Shelemiahu. And that's significant because these two gentlemen, Gedaliah and Jukal, are two of the four men named in Jeremiah 38.1. And that doesn't actually add any information to our study, but it's fascinating and encouraging to me when archaeology uncovers details like that that link back to the scriptural text. Now, we don't build our faith on that. That doesn't add anything to my faith that the words of Scripture are true. But I just love when we find things, when they find things archaeologically, that we can tie back to Scripture and say, man, there's that name right there, and we see that person in Scripture right here. And so I, I just thought that was interesting, and I encourage you to look it up. Uh, but before we go on, just note that Jeremiah is still preaching. Now, where is Jeremiah at this point? Well, Jeremiah 38 follows what we looked at last week in Jeremiah 37. So this is somewhere around the eighth year of Zedekiah, following the events of chapter 37, which means that Jeremiah is in prison. He's in prison, but he's still preaching. This guy will not quit. But these four men, Shephatiah, Gedaliah, Jukal, and Pasher, are not impressed. And uh, picking up in verse 4, it says, Therefore the princes said unto the king, We beseech thee, let this man be put to death. For thus he weakeneth the hands of the men of war that remain in this city, and the hands of all the people, in speaking such words unto them. For this man seeketh not the welfare of this people, but the hurt. Then Zedekiah the king said, Behold, he is in your hand, for the king is not he that can do anything against you. And remember, we talked about the fact last lesson that the king, Zedekiah, was weak and irresolute. And here he shows that very clearly. But it says, Then took they Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamalek, that was in the court of the prison. And they let down Jeremiah with cords. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sunk in the mire. So Jeremiah finds himself in a truly impossible predicament. He's in this dungeon, literally a pit, a well, or a cistern. Now, we don't know how deep this pit was, but we do know that Jeremiah is in a bad place, all right? 
maybe the cabins that we talked about in chapter 37 were bad, but this is far worse. He's down at the bottom of a pit in not just a pit. This is a pit that has mud and he's slowly sinking down into that mud. And Jeremiah desperately needs a friend. Well, verse 7, Now when Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs which was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon, the king then sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went forth out of the king's house and spake to the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is like to die for hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. So Ebed-Melech shows up, but who is this guy? Well, the name Ebed-Melech actually simply means servant of the king. So we're not even sure this was actually his proper name. He is a servant who's part of the king's household, but he hears about Jeremiah being thrown down into this cistern. And you might ask, why does he care? Well, we don't know. But because of his position as an honored servant in the king's house, he has an opportunity for good. He, he can go to the king, and he takes that opportunity. He makes a direct plea to the king for this mistreated prophet. And what does Zedekiah do? Well, remember, four guys approached Zedekiah in verse 1 to have Jeremiah thrown in this pit. And Zedekiah basically shrugged his shoulders and said, whatever. And now Ebed-Melech is asking him to overturn that decision. And here's how the king responds. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, saying, take, take from hence thirty men with thee, and take up Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he die. Now, though this seems to be an act of mercy on Zedekiah's part, I honestly think these words are offered in much the same way as was his response to Jeremiah's enemies. Ebed-Melech asks him, we need to let Jeremiah out. We, we need to get him out of this situation. And I think of Zedekiah responding something like this. <sighs> Go ahead. Take 30 men and get him out of the pit before he dies. I think, honestly, the king just doesn't care. And he's willing to go along with whatever the last person has said to him. And so Ebed-Melech goes to it. Verse 11, Ebed-Melech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took thence old cast clouts and old rotten rags and let them down by cords into the dungeon to Jeremiah. You might say, wait, what? Old rotten rags? Now, I think we all have that one bag or cupboard or drawer where we keep rags, right? Maybe it's in your garage or in your laundry room or it's in a closet somewhere, but you probably have a collection of old t-shirts and old towels and old washcloths, something like that, stuff somewhere. Well, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about here. So why is Ebed-Melech raiding the rag bag? Well, look at verse 12. And Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian said unto Jeremiah, Put now these old cast clouts and rotten rags under thine armholes under the cords. And Jeremiah did so. So they drew up Jeremiah with cords and took him up out of the dungeon, and Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Now, if we were going to make a movie out of Jeremiah's life, here's how we would want to envision this scene for the sake of drama, all right? Most likely, Jeremiah is up to his neck in mud at this point, okay? And, uh, and, you know, the moments are ticking away before he'll be sucked under the mud. 
most likely that's not the case because Ebed Melik was concerned about him dying for lack of food, not because of getting swallowed up by the mud. But anyway, for the, for the sake of the movie, okay? And then Ebed Melik comes and he throws this rope down into the pit just in time. And Jeremiah grabs hold with one hand and Ebed Melik pulls him dramatically up out of the mud to safety. That would be the dramatic way to paint this for the sake of a movie or to tell the story of Jeremiah's life. But imagine how it would feel to hold onto a rope while someone hauled you up out of the mud and up the side of a pit. That sounds distinctly unpleasant to me. Ebed Melech is not just caring to Jeremiah in the fact that he's rescuing him. He is compassionate in the way he does it. Instead of just hauling him up with a rope, he lets down these cords and even gives him rags to pad it and, and put the cords underneath his arms so they can pull him up comfortably. F.B. Meyer points out, it is not enough to serve and help those who need assistance. We should do it with the sweetness and gentleness of Christ. It is not only what we do, but the way in which we do it, which most quickly indicates our real selves. So Ebed Melech rescues Jeremiah from the pit, and then he fades out of sight as mysteriously as he entered. You know, I don't want to sound insensitive here, but if you took the friends up to this point in Jeremiah's life and you lined them up, which of them do you think would stick out from the others? Well, it would probably be this Ethiopian man. He's not a Jew. He's from another nation. Uh, he is in a, a slave sort of situation rather than being a, a paid member of somebody's staff or, um, or a free man otherwise. His his background is different. The sort of things he's doing is different. The way he looks is different. But a friend might look different from what we imagine. And so I love the fact that is this Ethiopian eunuch stepping into Jeremiah's life here. Remember Luke 10. I'm sure you do. Jesus tells a story, but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was. This man who has been beaten and left on the side of the road for dead. And when he saw him, the Samaritan saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. And then Jesus asked this question, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Who was the hero of the story? It was the Samaritan. To Jesus' Jewish crowd, he was certainly an unexpected hero, but he was the friend. Sometimes faithful friendship means offering help. A friend might need to be like an EMT, seeing someone who's in trouble, rushing to their aid, and then helping them in crisis, dropping everything to help them when they need it most. Now, there's only one other passage that mentions this Old, Te Old Testament Ethiopian eunuch. Jeremiah 35, verse 14 says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Go and speak to ebed melech the Ethiopian, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon this city for evil and not for good, and they shall be accomplished in that day before me. 
but I will deliver thee in that day, saith the Lord. And thou shalt not be given to the hand of the men of whom thou art afraid, for I will surely deliver thee, and thou shalt not fall by the sword, but thy life shall be for a prey unto thee, because thou hast put thy trust in me, saith the Lord. This is reminiscent of God's promise to Baruch in Jeremiah 45 that he would be delivered from the destruction that was coming. And I love how God spoke directly to both of these men. Neither of them served for a reward. Uh, they, they showed up and came to Jeremiah's aid and in Ebed-Melech's case, faded out of sight as the crisis passed, but God rewarded their selfless actions. Here, Ebed-Melech was a true friend. But as he steps out of the frame, another guy approaches Jeremiah. And this guy, unfortunately, we already know. King Zedekiah. Now remember, Zedekiah, just a few verses ago, allowed Jeremiah to be thrown into a cistern full of mud. But now, in verse 14, he's getting chummy with Jeremiah again. Then Jeremiah the king, or I'm sorry, then Zedekiah the king sent and took Jeremiah the prophet unto him into the third entry that is in the house of the Lord. And the king said unto Jeremiah, I will ask thee a thing, hide nothing from me. Then Jeremiah said unto Zedekiah, If I declare it unto thee, wilt thou not surely put me to death? And if I give thee counsel, wilt thou not hearken unto me? So Zedekiah the king sware secretly unto Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord liveth that made us this soul, I will not put thee to death. Neither will I give thee into the hand of these men that seek thy life. So Jeremiah is clearly skeptical. But Zedekiah is willing to bargain. Um, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You give me the info I need, and I won't let them throw you back into the muddy pit. It's not much of a bargain, but Jeremiah goes on to tell him that if he surrenders to the Babylonians, his life will be spared, and so will the city of Jerusalem. But if not, they will burn the city down and take Zedekiah captive. And Zedekiah makes excuses, but Jeremiah stands firm on the word that he's received from God. And their, their conversation ends uh, with the king making a request. Verse 24, Then said Zedekiah unto Jeremiah, Let no man know of these words, and thou shalt not die. But if the princes hear that I have talked with thee, and they come unto thee and say unto thee, Declare unto us now what thou hast said unto the king. Hide it not from us, and we will not put thee to death. Also what the king said unto thee. Then thou shalt say unto them, I presented my supplication before the king that he would not cause me to return to Jonathan's house to die there. Now, this is clearly a selfish request on the king's part. He wants to hide the fact that he's been talking to Jeremiah from his court because he's afraid it's going to ruin his reputation. Uh, but Zed uh, Jeremiah goes along with it. He listens to this request. Verses 27 and 28, Then came all the princes unto Jeremiah and asked him, and he told them according to all these words that the king had commanded. So they left off speaking with him, for the matter was not perceived. So Jeremiah abode in the court of the prison until the day that Jerusalem was taken, and he was there when Jerusalem was taken. So Jeremiah is still imprisoned. He's no longer in this pit, but he is still in prison. And he is going to stay there until the day that Jerusalem falls. But consider with me what a charmer Zedekiah is here. Over the course of his reign, he speaks to Jeremiah in a way that ranges from outright friendliness to just being cordial. 
but he never speaks ill of Jeremiah to his face. Still, he was definitely not a true friend to Jeremiah. I mean, clearly, the part where he let Jeremiah be thrown into an abandoned cistern makes that clear. But the real issue here was that Zedekiah acted in this relationship on the basis of self-interest. A faithful friend is unselfish. Zedekiah was profoundly selfish. Ahikam, Baruch, Zephaniah, and Ebed-Melech all had something in common. They acted for the good of Jeremiah, even though it could have had negative repercussions for them. Zedekiah, on the other hand, saw Jeremiah as a tool for his advantage. He took advantage of their relationship when it could help him, but he was ready to drop him like a worn-out tool as soon as he was no longer useful. This is the all-too-easy pitfall of friendship. All of us need to beware of viewing our friends and our brothers and sisters in Christ as means to an end, looking at our relationship through the lens of what they can offer to us instead of what we can do to help them. Though they had a relationship, Zedekiah and Jeremiah were definitely not true friends because Zedekiah was always acting out of self-interest. Now let's take a look at one final friend tonight, a man who we meet after the fall of Jerusalem. So we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but we're going to uh, meet a man named Gedaliah. Now who is Gedaliah? Well, 2 Kings 25 tells us, and by the time we reach the 25th chapter of 2 Kings, Babylon has conquered Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem has caved under, under the pressure of a three-year siege, and the majority of the people of Judah have been taken into captivity in Babylon. But 2 Kings 25-22 tells us, And as for the people that remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon had left, even over them he made Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, ruler. So, Gedaliah is set up as the governor of Judah. But did you notice the name of Gedaliah's dad and granddad? It was Ahikam and Shaphan. So, this is the son of Ahikam who helped Jeremiah out back in Jeremiah 26. And now, Ahikam's son Gedaliah is governing the small remnant of the nation that's still at Jerusalem. And among that remnant is the prophet Jeremiah. After Three to four years in jail, Jeremiah is finally released by the Babylonians when they conquer the city. And where does he go then? Well, Jeremiah 39, verse 11 says, Now Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him and look well to him and do him no harm, and do unto him even as he shall say unto thee. So Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, sent, and Nebuchadnezzar, Rabsaris, and Nergal-Sharizer, Rabmag, and all the king of Babylon's princes, even they sent and took Jeremiah out of the court of the prison and committed him unto Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, that he should carry him home. So he dwelt among the people. So who cared for Jeremiah after his release? It was Gedaliah the governor of Judah, and the son of Jeremiah's former friend, Ahikam. And God is truly watching out for Jeremiah. And again, he's bringing him just who he needs at just the right time. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but Gedaliah was not just kind. He was also a good leader. 
And what a breath of fresh air it must have been for Jeremiah to once again be under a leader who truly wanted to do right and please God. We actually even find Gedaliah encouraging the people to heed Jeremiah's words and submit to Babylon. Jeremiah himself shows us how precious this all was to him in chapter 40 and what a friend Gedaliah became to him. Because in chapter 40, he's set free to go wherever he chooses. He can go to Babylon, uh, not as a captive, but as a free man, or he can stay in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah 40, verse 6 says, Then went Jeremiah unto Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, to Mizpah, and dwelt with him among the people that were left in the land. So when he's given the choice, Jeremiah says, I'm going to stay with Gedaliah. Jeremiah found help and comfort under the care and authority of Gedaliah. Jeremiah was tired. He was beaten down. He was experiencing great sorrow, and he really needed someone who could gently strengthen his hands, and God brought Gedaliah his way. Now, sadly, Gedaliah was assassinated, but that's another story that we're not going to touch on tonight. Still, even though his life ended tragically, we find that Gedaliah played an important part at a vital time in Jeremiah's life. A faithful friend provides comfort when needed. And that's exactly what Gedaliah did. Thank God for the faithful friends that God brought into Jeremiah's life and the important part that they played in his life. Now, there were others who may very well have provided Jeremiah with friendship and support, um, like King Josiah, other faithful prophets like Habakkuk and Ezekiel. And surely there are others who are not named in Scripture who were a help and, and provided friendship to Jeremiah. But these five that we've considered certainly provided friendship and help to Jeremiah at key times in his life. And we learn from them some lessons about what a good friend looks like. That's helpful to all of us because I'm sure that we all want to be a good friend, but also because in a very real sense, these are the things that we're called to be to each other as Christian siblings, brothers and sisters in Christ. If we're to be good friends, if we're to be good siblings, then we need to be prepared to be uh, these things that we've considered uh, that a good friend is. Uh, a bodyguard, protecting them from attack. A butler, serving them selflessly. A reporter, informing them helpfully and constructively. An EMT, coming to their aid in crisis. And a nurse, comforting them when they're troubled and weary. Not only do these five men that we've considered remind us about what a faithful friend looks like, we also learn another simple but important lesson. And that is that we all need friends. Jeremiah needed friends. I'm convinced that no man can carry out his God-given tasks and truly please God in all of it without friends. That's why God has given us the church, so that together we can look to Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We are all parts of the body that work together to God's glory. None of us is an island, and none of us can carry out our work for God alone. After all, that's 
what friends are for. Next week, we're going to consider the days Jeremiah found himself in where he was surrounded by no signs of hope. Now, he might be out of the pit, but he's still in jail. Jerusalem was under siege, and yet Jeremiah has hope. We'll see that hope was not just a glimmer, but actually a blaze of glory. And we'll find that we too can share some part of that hope that he shares in his book. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this example from Jeremiah's life of good friendship, those who were a help and encouragement to him at key times. I pray that you would help us all to look for friends who are going to Uh, encourage us in the right ways, going to point us to you, uh, that we can be there for them and they can be there for us in the right ways. Help us not to be selfish and all focused on our own advantage like Zedekiah was. Uh, Lord, help us to be faithful friends to others. Help us to see the ways that you want us to be uh, these different things in in the lives of others, protecting them, helping them when they need help, uh, providing care and comfort, giving them important information. All of these things are so important. Lord, we ask that you would help us to do those things for each other. Thank you for the work that these friends did in Jeremiah's life and how we are benefiting from that work even today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.